talking baseball. Klazuski, Campanella talking baseball. The man and Bobby Fella, the scooter, the barber, and the nuke. Episode two. They knew Dirty Kurt's dugout. I can't wait to get splintered with my guest today. Our second episode of 2019, we did one before the votes were actually in for the Hall of Fame. And now we're doing one right after the votes are in for the Hall of Fame. Mariana Rivera, the first unanimous choice to be inducted into Baseball's Hall of Fame, along with Roy Holiday, Edgar Martinez, and Mike Messina. Yeah, I think that was a surprise to a lot of people. And, of course, joining them will be the two guys that were voted in by the Errors Committee, Lee Smith and Harold Bain. So it's going to be a full docket come July 19th through the 21st, I believe, in Cooperstown, New York. But my guest today has been a friend of mine for a long time. And this is the first time... I've had him on the show. He played for the Astros, the Reds, the San Francisco Giants, Phillies, and the Oakland A's. He won two World Series championships with the Reds in 1975 and 1976. I saw his game-winning home run in Fenway Park in 1975. I was actually there. Named the National League's most valuable player in those two years. Two consecutive years, MVP. Considered one of the greatest second basemen of all time. More on that later. He became a baseball broadcaster for ESPN after his retirement from baseball with a shortstop in Cincinnati and now hosts a weekly nationally syndicated radio show for Sports USA. He's currently a special advisor to the Reds. Joe Morgan currently serves as a member of the board of the Baseball Assistance Team. It's a nonprofit organization dedicated to helping former major leaguers, minor leaguers, and Negro League players through financial and medical hardships. This is the organization that Joe Graziola started back a long time ago, and it's continuing on. Of course, like I said, a member of the Baseball's Hall of Fame class of 1990. Joe's an accomplished business executive, an Emmy Award-winning sportscaster for ESPN. Oh, boy. You can see Joe Morgan's not very busy because he's got car dealerships in Cincinnati. He's authored books on baseball. He also serves on the Hall of Fame as a member of the board's executive committee and nominating committees. You know, there's a couple of things in my life that I really miss. My mom and dad, for one, competing at a high level, as in Major League Baseball, and then it's playing golf with this guy, along with Enos Cabell and anyone else dumb enough to want to play in our foursome. <laughs> How's your golf game, Joe? Well, null and void. I've had this. <laughs> replacement a couple of years ago man and it hasn't gotten well but i'm getting now where i have some club head speed just enough to be able to play a little bit so i'm gonna probably start in the next couple of weeks cold weather down here lately well i i hope you miss playing with me as much as i miss playing with you and i and our compatriots and we need to get some groups back together again and have some fun 
like we used to. Well, there's no doubt I miss playing with you. Hey, did you tell him we gave you a nickname, the White Marvel? You know, I haven't. I I didn't. Ever. I I didn't. I didn't. But I was I was thinking about if we had enough time <laughs> that I was going to throw that in there and ask. But now that you've brought it up, yeah, uh, you might as well explain. And don't guy. say we. You're the one that gave me the nickname. Well, you were you were a marvel with the putter at the time, so I had to give you a nickname. He was a marvel. I went over there. I went over there and and slayed the greens of Maui. Yes, and they're not easy. No, they're not but easy. That's that's for sure. Yeah. Go ahead, man. I'm, I'm. I was sorry to cut you off there. Oh no, you didn't cut me off at all. I'm always glad to talk about myself. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Joe, as I said in my introduction, you're still deeply involved in the game of baseball. Uh, what are your thoughts on its direction? And I'm not—I'm really not talking about the the state of the game because it's good, but the state of the game for the fans' sake. Well, uh, I am a little worried because the attendance has been down a little bit the last couple of years. So has uh, viewership on television. All that has been down, you know, except maybe the World Series and the playoffs, but the regular, you know, season. You know, the viewership has been down and the attendance. So I'm a little worried because there's, as they say in, you know, the game now, there's not enough action. You know, they either strike out, walk, hit a home run. What is that, the three or four true outcomes, they call them. Uh, You know, not a lot of ground balls where your infielders can make great plays and you see it all the time. Uh, I'll give you an example. I watched the All-Star game last year. And all those great defensive players, all those players, I never saw a great defensive play made the entire game. They end up hitting eight home runs in the last two innings or whatever, and all the way up to that, it was a lot of strikeouts. So, you know, it's, the game has turned into almost like the NBA was for a while. Either you dunk it, you know, or you shoot the three-pointers, and that's the way the game is going. Uh, baseball, you know, has turned into you don't see a lot of stolen bases anymore, hitting runs. Guys going first to third on singles, moving guys along. The game is not played that way anymore. It's more about, you know, the big swings, the big blasts, and the launch angle. So when you have a launch angle and you're swinging up a little bit, you're quite naturally going to strike out a lot because if you don't hit it perfectly, you know, you're going to miss it. So uh, I'm worried about that part of the game. Not enough action. And I think, you know, when I travel around, the fans, that's what they tell me, you know, that they sit there and they watch, they watch, they watch, and they wait for something to happen. And it's either a walk, a strikeout, or a home run. So, you know, it's, it's an interesting game now. And, you know, we've always said, you know, that, you know, baseball never changes. Only the people that play the game change. You know, there's still one, two, three outs and all that, the most runs win, et cetera. But, the, the people who play the game now, they've been taught a different way. You know, a lot of times in the minor leagues, the Dodgers do it especially. They teach their minor leaguers to have the launch angle, you know, swing up and, you know, try to hit home runs. And there's I, it's nothing wrong with that except there are times when you don't need a home run. You need a base hit. No, there's nothing wrong with it uh, except for the fact that they've lost the last two World Series because of that methodology. Correct. And if they played the Astros again, they'd lose. If they played Boston again, they would lose. That's exactly right. You know, you were talking about strikeouts and the way the game is nowadays. I happened to see a statistic the other day, and, you know, we all like statistics because that's the way we were brought up with the game. I mean, we knew exactly what we were hitting at all times. Right. But this one just blew me away. In nineteen in two thousand and six, not nineteen, two thousand and six, right. there were thirteen thousand 
418 more hits than strikeouts in the major leagues. Right. That's in 06. So it's only 12 years ago. Last year, there were 188 more strikeouts than there were hits. Right. That is, to me, is a crazy, crazy statistic. Well, it's a crazy statistic, Kurt, because the ball's not in play. Just what you're saying. You know, the ball's not in play. Back in the day, you know, guys hated to strike out. Now when guys strike out, it's like a badge of courage. They strike out and just walk back to the dugout. I've seen guys strike out, slam their bats, and be upset before. But now it just seems like, you know, it's a badge of honor. You know, guys strike out 200 times. I mean, can you imagine that? I mean, I played with some of the great hitters all time. You know, I played with Bench, Rose, Perez, Foster, all those guys. They could still hit home runs. But, man, when they, they, if they got close to 100 strikeouts, even though they did some strike out 100 times sometimes, they were upset, you know, because that's the way the game was back in the day. I mean, I think it was Hank Aaron. There was some, I saw a stat the other day. Guys that hit a lot of home runs never struck out more than 80-something times at bat, you know, and they hit, you know, 40, 50 home runs every year. So I don't, I don't know. Like I said, it, it just depends on the way you look at the game. And, and look, it's more like a – you know, video game now. You know, it's home runs or strikeouts, so that's the way the game goes. What do you think's going on with free agency? Well, I think all of a sudden, you know, with the numbers they're using, and like I said, a lot of the guys striking out more than they than they think they should, and so they're not willing to put out a lot of money for certain free agents. And I guess it seems like when you get 30 years old now, that's old. But that wasn't old when we played, you know. But now that seems to be old. Um, the free agency, I mean, I, I think there's, what's happening is everybody's saying, well, Bryce Harper hasn't signed, Machado hasn't signed, and that's a shame. Well, I guess it is in, in one context. It is a shame because those are two of the best players in the game, so they should be signed. But on the other side, if, if they're asking, and I don't know what they're asking for. I read in the paper it says want, that they want $300 million for 10 years. Uh, you know, a lot of the teams are saying, if I pay one guy $30 million, then what can I do to fill in the other gaps? And is one guy going to make me win the pennant or win the World Series? So I don't, it's, there's two sides to every story. But I do wish that those two guys would sign or, you know, because it would help the other guys. There are a lot of other guys hanging out there waiting because teams are still in the, you know, sweepstakes for, you know, Harper and also for Machado. So they don't want to sign some of the guys who are the next tier down. So until those two guys sign, I think guys on the next level down are going to be hanging out there. Well, we all we all know about the the incident and incidents. Uh, I I didn't really have any problem with the way he was sliding into second base. I didn't either. But when he did what he did at first base, right? And I and now naturally we're talking about uh, Manny Machado, Machado here. Um, you know, people started. Uh, to question his integrity in the way he plays the game. And I think that's costing him one heck of a lot of money in this free agency year. And I'm also wondering about what people think about Bryce Harper and whether or not that might be costing him money. And it's certainly not any any finger pointing towards him being a dirty type of player because that's not what I'm alluding to at all. No. I'm just talking about his non-hustle and his attitude with other players on the team? Well, both, both guys were called on the carpet by their managers last year for not hustling. You know, Bryce Harper was pulled from a game for not hustling in Washington, and Machado 
you know, Machado even says, you know, hustle's not part of my game. I, I, that's the most unbelievable quote I ever heard. But, look, there's a lot of times people are going to point fingers trying to lower their value. So some of these things could be fabricated. I'm not sure, but I just know what I read and what I've you know, seen. Now, I, don't, I just don't believe that one player – even with the Dodgers, as good as they were and close as they were, they won six straight, you know, division titles or whatever. I'm just not sure that one player is going to be the difference in that team. They've got a lot of other good players that have to come through. Uh, I just don't know where they're going to end up where they can make that kind of an impact, where they can change, you know, where, you know the, the plight of the team. I'm just not sure. Look, they're going to be good players. They're going to bring a lot of publicity. I don't know if the Dodgers can sell any more tickets than they already sell. So I don't know if they want to spend money just to try to, you know, to bring more ticket sales. Some of the other teams, that might help. So I'm, I just wish that one of them would sign. But I think therein lies the problem, Kurt. Soon as one of them signs, the other one's going to say, I want more than that, or vice versa. You know, I mean, I just think that it's going to affect when one signs, it's going to affect the other. Is there any odor of collusion out there in your mind? No. No, I don't think there's any collusion at this time. I, obviously, there was before. I think, again, what has happened is most of them have analytics staffs, and they decide that, well, so if he does this much more than we did last year, where are we going to end up? If he does more, less than what we did last year, where are we going to end up? I think that's what they're trying to do now. Uh, I don't think there is any collusion as such to say, well, I'm, you know, like they did before, we're only going to offer this guy 20000 or whatever. I don't think there's that kind of collusion. Um, I think the owners definitely learned their lesson last time from that because it cost them a lot of money. I just think that a lot of teams have decided that we're going to try to do it a different way. Uh, you know, remember Houston went down and lost three or four years in a row, got three number one draft choice or whatever. They got Carrera, who, who has made a big difference. They got Bregman. They, you know, they got a lot of players that made a difference when they were losing. And that's the other thing. A lot of teams are saying, why should I go ahead and spend all this money if I'm going to end up next to last or on the lower rung anyway? So I think that's coming into play a lot more than collusion is. Well, let's talk about the Hall of Fame for a minute. Right. Uh, you were elected uh, – to the Baseball Hall of Fame in Cooperstown in 1990. Uh, you've been a director since 94. That's a long time, Joe. I, you... I, I didn't even know I was a director in 94. I'm the vice chairman of the board now, and I think that's been the last 16 years. Yeah, but you were a director for six years before that. No, I didn't realize it until you just said it. But yes, <laughs> yes, I've been hey, I've been around. I've been up at Cooperstown a long time. So as vice chairman. In a letter that you so famously wrote in November of 2017, yeah. let me quote you, and if there's anything that I've taken out of context, although I don't think so, yeah. uh, I want to take a piece out of this, and, and I want to talk to you about it. Kurt, when you take pieces out, it doesn't come across the same way as I intended it, but go ahead and we'll try it. Yeah, this is just, uh, this is just one portion of it. Yeah. I'm certainly not trying to, uh, no, no, go ahead. trying to put other words in your mouth. And that's why I... And other Hall of Famers feel so strongly about what you wrote, and you can continue about that. It's gotten to the point where Hall of Famers are saying that if steroid users get in, they'll no longer come to Cooperstown for induction ceremonies or other events. Some feel they can't share a stage with players who did steroids. 
the cheating that tainted in error now risks tainting the Hall of Fame too. The Hall of Fame means too much to us to ever see that happen. If steroid users get in, it will divide and diminish the Hall, something we couldn't bear. That's what? pretty good. I, I can't remember the letter because I wrote it you know, last year. But one of the things I was trying to do in the letter, a lot of guys that had talked to me at the Hall of Fame, and a lot of guys wanted to put something out there in writing and say you know, how they feel. You know, a lot of guys had done it. I mean, Goose Gossage and a few other guys had gone public anyway. But we didn't want a lot of different views out there. We wanted one view. And I decided I would take the bullet and try to, you know, incorporate what all the guys had talked to me about and how they felt. And I tried to do that. I wasn't pointing fingers at any one player or two. Everybody wants to say it was aimed, aimed at Barry Bonds and Roger Clemens. That's not true. It was aimed at people who were failing tests or did things like that. Barry Bonds actually, you know, he hasn't failed the test. He hasn't admitted it. Roger Clemens the same way. And when you look at it, they were on the Mitchell report. But the Mitchell report to me is not something that I would put a lot of stock in because, Kurt, they didn't talk to 100-and-something guys. They only used what somebody else told them and put in there. So I'm not as confident in that as I am when you fail a drug test or you admit it, then I know you did it. Okay. But, I, look, it's a tough thing for the players up there to, you know, speculate on or want their name behind something. But I, I just know that they're, you know, it's, I just, as I said, I don't want the hall to be divided. Some guys saying, yes, they should be in. Other guys saying, no, they shouldn't. Okay. So, you know, it's, it's a complicated issue, and, and I still think it's complicated. Um, I don't think it's going to go away for quite a few years because, uh, you know, we went through an era there where they're saying that people were using, you know, performance-enhancing drugs. I'm not – obviously, I wasn't aware of it. I'm not – I didn't see anybody do it uh, or whatever, but there is – they call it the steroid era, and there is definitely reason to believe that there was an error there where a lot of guys were taking performance-enhancing drugs. Jeff Passan, a national writer, actually yeah. gave up his Hall of Fame vote because of that letter. Did you Were you aware of that? I, somebody told me, but you know what? I, I'm glad he did. <laughs> I mean, he made, he made some points that there's racist wife beaters and drunks already right. in the Hall of Fame. Right. And so what are you going to do? Go backwards? Well, you can't go backwards in time. I guess that's the whole point. A lot of people say that Ty Cobb was a racist. A lot of guys, were, what are we going to do? Go back to 1903 or whatever it was and try to change it? You've got you to draw a line in the sand and go forward. That's the way life is. You can't always go backwards. You can't go back and say, this guy did this or this guy was a wife beater, you know, years ago. That should have been brought up at the time. You have to draw a line someplace. And the line was drawn, you know, in the steroid era by the commissioner. They decided that they were going to test, and if you got caught, they were going to suspend you. Uh, I understand his point, but how, how do you do that? So what are you going to do? You go back and, 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 and take those guys out, or do you start from a, a certain point? Well, we know damn well there were racists in baseball. Right. that's but- what I mean. So what are you going to do? Go back and take Ty Cobb out? See, that's, that's what's the wrong with his argument. You know, uh, look, we can make all kind of arguments, and I'm not going to sit here and tell you that I was 100% correct. Kurt, you've known me a long time. 
I have an opinion. I don't believe that mine is the only opinion, okay? I give my opinion. People give theirs, and that's the way it goes. I don't, uh, I don't sit here and say that if you believe that guy, they're wrong, you're, you're wrong if you believe that some guy should be in, that maybe you think did steroids. I don't, I'm not going to argue with you over that. It's the same way people thought I was always trying to get Pete Rose in and whatever. I, if you argue with me and told me that you didn't think Pete Rose belonged in the Hall of Fame because he bet on baseball, I didn't argue with you. I, you know, I didn't because that's, that's your opinion, and you have a right to that opinion. But I have a right to my opinion as well. I played this game a long time, too, so I have a right to, for my opinion. I had one guy years ago say that we were wrong because of the veteran committee didn't put Ron Santo into the Hall of Fame at that time. And I'm asking him a question. I said, well, you think you know more about who should be in the Hall of Fame than the guys who are voting. You see, that's the, therein lies the problem. A lot of the writers think they know more about who should be in the Hall of Fame than the guys who are in the Hall of Fame and then, than the players who played. You know, I was always a big fan of Ron Santos. I voted for him every chance I had. So I believed in Ron Santo, but I can't fault the other guys if they didn't believe that, you see. So I, I, it's, it's a tough situation. You're never going to get 100% approval except Mariano Rivera, but he's the only one that got 100%. So you see, even those guys can't always come to the same conclusion about a player. And you know what? I, I want to talk to you about Mariano for a second. Yeah. Uh, he, he was a great pitcher. Yes. And I always thought, I, I couldn't never figure out why guys didn't get elected into with 100% of the votes, certain guys. Right. And he happened to be the first one. But you know what? I have a problem with it. I and do I'll t- And I'll tell you why. I have a problem with it, not because he was a relief pitcher, not because he's the first guy to do it and Schmitty wasn't and Bench right. wasn't and you weren't Mays. and Mays wasn't and Aaron. whoever else Aaron, that de- uh, deserves to be in that category. Yeah. I, look, I don't, I don't fault him. I'm glad. And the reason he is, one of the reasons, Kurt, is he's a nice guy. He is a nice guy. And I, and I respect that. He is a nice guy. But I'll tell you, I tell you why I have a problem, Joe, and then you can continue. Okay. I have a problem because one of the writers yeah. that was not going to vote for him, yeah, did it's not vote at all. Ballot. Yeah, I saw that. And it didn't get counted. Right. Now I have a problem with that. Yeah. Is that something the Hall of can fix? Well, I don't know if you can fix it because you can't fix everything. If a guy chooses not to send anybody in on his ballot, uh, not to send a ballot in, you, I mean, I don't think there's anything you can really do about that. Um, it's up to him to decide. I don't know if that means you don't send him one the next year. I don't know how that works. I'm not, you know, privy to that kind of information. But I did see that he said he wasn't going to vote for him, but he wasn't going to be a bad guy. So he did not. I don't remember who it was, but he said he wasn't going to send his ballot in. So it wouldn't be counted against Mariano. And, and look, if he choo- again, we're back to the same thing. A guy chooses to do what he wants to do. I mean, when they give you a ballot, you can write ten names down, you can write two names down. As we know, see, everybody has been complaining lately, a lot of the writers, saying there's not enough room for all these guys. All right, they have ten names they can put on there. You know what the average is? Average is eight. That no one, very, everybody doesn't send in ten names. The average ballot has eight. You know, when you average them out, obviously there's some tens, there's some fives, there's some threes. 
And there's even guys that only vote for three people or four people. But the average is eight. So people that are complaining, saying the ballot should be bigger, there's really not any statistic that says it should be bigger because there's only eight average of eight. So how do, why would you make it 11 when you're only getting eight? So going back to the steroid error, guys, the Bonds, the Clemens, I'm going to throw those names out because they're the big ones. All right. Are you, did you say that, or did I misinterpret, that Probably there are certain guys... If you're using... If you're, Using those two guys, you misinterpreted, but go ahead. No, not yeah. So I don't want to necessarily ask about them. Right. I'm just going to say, are there certain guys that may have been in the steroid area that you're suspicious about, but they've never tested positive, that if they got voted in, you'd be okay with it? Well, I'm, ne- I'm never going to be okay with people... You know, that's that's a difficult question because when you say okay with it, what is I got to ask you what what does that actually mean? Well, because I think that the day is going to come. I, I certainly don't want, ever want to see it because I enjoy watching. Uh, it's getting kind of long sometimes. I can't imagine how long it is for you guys that are sitting back there. But if it gets to the point where I don't get to see my Joe Morgan or have my Johnny Bench fix or see Sandy Koufax walk onto the stage or watch Gaylord plump uh, his his body up onto the stage and uh, wave to everybody and, and see Nolan Ryan and, and all the guys. Um, it, I just not – I would not feel the same way about it. And if, in fact, there's going to be 15 or 20 guys, because I'm sure that's going to be the approximate number that are not going to come if a steroid error player, uh, error player is ever inducted into the Hall of Fame. Well, I, I use this, I go back to the letter, one of the reasons I wrote the letter, because guys were threatening to do different things, okay? Some guys, and I'll tell you what was the worst, I heard you know, they were going to get up and walk off stage, and I told them you cannot do that. They said they weren't going to come. I said, well, if you don't want to come, that's up to you. But you can't embarrass baseball or the player who's up there speaking. And I still believe that no matter who it is, what it is, or no matter. You can't embarrass the game of baseball. That's my first thought. And you can't embarrass the player who is there. That's my second thought. But there were a lot of guys saying that, you know, they wanted to do it different ways. They had two or three different things. I'm not going to get into all that. But there are two or three different ways they wanted to show their disfavor of it. But, you know, and I displeasure. And... You know, some of those things, you know, people get mad at me for writing the letter. I was only trying to calm some things down at the time. I was really trying to calm it down until we had a chance to rethink a lot of things. But going forward, you know, I don't know what's going to happen. Um, I don't know. I mean, there are guys who may change their mind. You know, going forward, the farther away you get from the steroid era, the more people change their minds about it. Let me give you one other statistic that I think you'll appreciate. About everybody saying that the Hall of Fame doesn't want guys in, they don't want to do this and that. Well, the Hall of Fame doesn't even think, do that. The board doesn't think about things like that, okay? And I'll show you why. About either two or three years ago, I can't remember, we changed the, the voting uh, uh, criteria. There have been guys who were not had been having votes for a long time. There were like 500 and something votes when I was 
elected, you know, people that, who are on the panel voting. This year there were 425. We saw that. What happened was there were a lot of guys who had the right to vote for the Hall of Fame and were no longer covering baseball, had been away from baseball 10 years or whatever. So what we did is try to make sure that guys were seeing games and involved in baseball that were getting the votes, okay? Now, when we did that, we brought a lot of new people on board, a lot of younger guys. So here's the point, and this is something everybody should understand. The guys, some of the guys who are voting now were 11 years old when the steroid era came about, okay? So they only saw heroes. They didn't see any of the... Uh, you know, steroids, they didn't see any PEDs, they didn't know anything about it. They only saw heroes. And so those are the guys that are voting now. So if, if the Hall of Fame was trying to orchestrate this, they would have let the old-timers continue to vote who felt like guys that might have done PEDs shouldn't be in. But that's not the way the rules are set. That's not the way the game should be played. The game should be tried to be fair for everybody. And so... Those guys now that were 11 years old are the ones that are voting now. Well, the word out since the voting came in yeah. where Roger Clemens and Barry were right there. Yeah, I mean, they were right there when 48% of the votes were in. And then when the, uh, I call them the nondescript voters came in because anybody that won't share who they voted for to me uh, doesn't even deserve the vote. Uh, these people came in 52%, and and they drastically reduced the percentages of both Roger Clemens and Barry Bonds. And the speculation is out there that because of this, and this is people that have been following this and know all the analytics and know all the numbers involved, that their tra- chances uh, of getting elected, uh, at least within their 10-year period, were drastically reduced because of the way those votes came in. I, I read that someplace, you know, but again, I'm like you. I don't know anything about all this analytics and statistics and all the stuff they use. Let, let me say something else that, that I guess it bothers me a little bit. We keep talking about Roger Clemens and Barry Bonds. I mean, those two guys. All right, let's, let's look at this realistically. All right, Sammy Sosa gets no support, right? All right, Sammy's got great numbers. Mark McGuire gets no support, right? Yeah. All right, Manny Ramirez, got he got caught twice, right, suspended twice. He gets 23% of the vote, whereas Sosa doesn't get but 8%. I'm just trying to figure out how people are thinking here. You know, guys that got caught, here's a guy that got caught. I mean, he got suspended twice, yet he gets more than a guy that never got suspended you know, the two guys that you're talking about didn't get suspended, so they have higher totals. But how do you do that? And then you're going to have A-Rod coming on board. A-Rod got suspended twice. So how are you going to look at this? I mean, look, it, gets, it does not get any easier, I guess is what I'm saying, for the voters or for people. And a lot of people are going to, uh, you know, be critical of me saying whatever I'm saying, but the fact still remains. I just try to go by the facts. And fact is, Sammy Sosa has 600 and something home runs. So if you're going to say that, I mean, I just don't understand how he can be the low man on the totem pole. And and for good reason. It's it is a confusing thing. And I think if uh, 
if you came out with a quote like she's the sweetest little girl on the block and right. she doesn't do anything wrong, you're going to find a detractor by you saying yeah. that, especially in this day and age of social media. So right. I think most of the smart people out there realized that you were speaking on behalf of the players. Yeah. I think there are some people that think that you were speaking on the, on behalf of the Hall of Fame. Just because you wrote it on Hall of Fame stationery, I only I, they they had everybody's number, all the writers. I don't have the writers' addresses and telephone numbers, do I? No, that's I right. I don't have these. I don't have these guys. I wrote it and sent it up there. They printed it out, sent it to the writers. I did not have all the people who I was sending this to. I don't have their addresses or their emails or any of that stuff. How was I going to do it? You know, and and there was no way I could do it other than to have it go through the Hall of Fame. Look, I, I knew I've heard everything, and I didn't do any interviews last year, Kurt, for that reason. I didn't want to distort what I was trying to say. All I did was tell people, read what I said carefully. Don't read what you want to see in there. Don't read it. And a lot of writers did that. They took what I said out of context because they had a different opinion. All I did was lay it out. If you read it, completely the whole letter and read what it says carefully i think that you know, a lot of people would have a different opinion see these are things you learn when you sit on the bench with dirty kurt yeah <laughs> hall of famer joe morgan joe a yeah. couple of things before you go all right and and this i i have a reasoning for this and and we'll get to it but when you first got to the big leagues, you had a little bit of a problem adjusting to the pitching because your back elbow was too low. Correct. Who got a hold of you, and what changes did they make? Well, Nellie Fox. Nellie Fox. You know, I grew up idolizing Nellie Fox and Jackie Robinson. When I got to Houston my first year, Nellie Fox was a player coach. Man, I thought I'd died and gone to heaven. Okay, <laughs> I really did. And Nellie and I became very close friends. And he worked with me. He was my mentor, both on and off the field. So we had a, I had this, Houston Astrodome was the biggest ballpark in the world at that time. And straightaway right field was 390 feet. And I had that 389-foot fly ball down to a tee. And so we needed to get the ball out of the air. And as you know, if you a golfer, if you keep that right elbow in, that's what gets the ball in the air. All right? So my, my left elbow was getting too close. And that would cause me to drop my back shoulder and hit a lot of fly balls, just like you do as a golfer. So I was hitting a lot of fly balls. So Nelly wanted me to, you know, move my arm away. So that I hit my side to remind myself in batting practice. And, man, things went so well, I kept doing it in the game. And after about three or four days, I wasn't even aware I was doing it because it had become a habit. But I have to tell you, it did work. It helped me uh, right away. I saw an immediate result. So that's the reason I kept doing it. I think so, and what you're keeping doing for all the people out there that maybe didn't see Joe Morgan hit was flapping your back elbow. Yeah, hitting my side. It was more hitting my side to remind me to get my elbow away from my body. That's what it was. And it seemed like when I hit my side, my elbow went to the right spot. It didn't go high. It didn't go low. It just stayed. It went right in the middle or someplace where I wanted it, and that's the reason why I continued to do it. You know, and, and it, it, like I said, I had immediate success that night and, and for the next few days. So, like I said, after that, it just became a habit. So I have this question for you. Right. I've got a kid, and, and when I say a kid, literally, in the literal sense, my son, 
who can hit. Right. He's having some trouble right now because his back elbow is too high. What does he do to correct that? Well, I think I personally don't like a high elbow because there's too many things can go wrong on the way to the ball. All right? Um, I think you end up with a longer swing in a lot of cases. You know what I mean? But that's, that's not every case. It's a matter of where his elbow goes, you know, once he starts toward the ball. And obviously I'd have to see that before I could really give you any good advice. But... Uh, hell, Kurt, you know how to hit. <laughs> what are you asking me for? You could hit. <laughs> well, you were because, not, hey, they didn't call you Dirty Kurt for nothing. Hey, you know, yeah, but he won't listen to his dad. <laughs> no, no. Uh, people that did couldn't hit didn't get nicknames. <laughs> <laughs> Joe, I really appreciate you coming on. Thank My you pleasure. so much. Thank you for being honest. And uh, let's get a foursome and or, or an eightsome together soon. All right. I'll tell Enos Cabell and the guys that I talked to you. Take care, Joe. Thanks again, my friend. Joe Morgan. Deemed the greatest second baseman of all time. Now, I emphasize that because all time, all time, the greatest second baseman of all time, when it was presented to Joe Morgan on one of his broadcasts, and he worked for ESPN, he worked for NBC. He had plenty of broadcast partners, including John Miller, who's still working for the San Francisco Giants, said to Joe, hey, Joe, a survey just came out and you were voted the greatest second baseman of all time. And you know what Joe did in his broadcast nature? He argued with John Miller that he shouldn't have been voted the best second baseman of all time because of Honest Wagner. Yeah. Honest Wagner, 358 lifetime batting average, seven batting championship. I mean, Joe had a case, but how do you argue the fact that you were just voted the greatest second baseman of all time? Well, that was it. You don't hear things on other podcasts that you hear on Dirty Kurtz Dugout. I enjoyed having you. Come back and join us. Go to patreon.com slash Kurt Bavacqua. Help us out. Become a member. Do whatever you want to do, but keep listening. Thank you, and I'll talk to you soon. Talking baseball. Klazuski, Campanella. Talking baseball. The man and Bobby Fella. The scooter, the barber, and the nuke. They knew them all from Boston to Dubuque. Especially with... Mickey and the Duke. Well, Casey was winning. Hank Aaron was beginning. One Robbie.